Welcome to the podcast on searching for and maintaining interior peace by Father Jacques Philippe. My name is Karen Doyle and I'm joined by Therese Nichols, founder of One Plate, and Sister Mary Helen, Dominican sister of St. Cecilia, Nashville, Tennessee. We're going to be unpacking the contents of this amazing and beautiful book. We hope that you enjoy. So it's great to be back with you both looking at podcast number three for Father Jacques Philippe's book, Searching for and Maintaining Peace. How's your week's been? Yeah, really good. Back in the classroom, full time. Oh, uh, great seeing their faces and seeing that all the work that I did was completely a waste of time compared oh. to just seeing oh. the kids. But it's been fun. <laughs> uh, As in, just too much. You did a lot of online preparation. A lot and a, of online preparation. Yeah. But you make up all of that, weeks of that, in one lesson face to face. Yeah. It's amazing. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so good. What about you, Therese? How's your week been? Yeah, I've had a good week. I'm still in a little bubble of grace off in the country. Um, So I'm planning to go back to Melbourne next week and slowly there's more meetings being booked in. And so, yeah, I think this period of my little bubble in the country is coming to an end. It's a bit sad. (laughs) Yeah, I'm making the most of lots of walks. Yeah, nice. Around the mountains, so it's been lovely. Fantastic. Yeah, it's it's beautiful weather at the moment. We're, I'm really enjoying walking and being outdoors. And I got to enjoy it on my own this morning because I have two children back at school today. So um, <laughs> one of them went back full time this week. The other one is Thursday, Friday for the next month. And hopefully my third child will go back next week. <laughs> I was saying to sister though, it, I texted my husband and he said, how are you? Are you enjoying the peace and quiet? I said, I'm really sad and lonely too. So after all my complaining about homeschooling, now I'm missing them. So, uh, but no, I, I liked having them at home. I should clarify. I love having my kids home. I just found it's such a stretch across the business and trying to do three different grades. That was the tough part. But um, I, I'm kind of sad getting back to normal and the busyness. I really like that um, season. Yeah. Just, it was just more still and reflective and I quite enjoyed that actually. Mm. Yeah. We probably need to, um, it's probably a good experience to just say, okay, I am not going completely back to anything that gets mm. me that crazy again. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 It's nice, the slow. It is so nice. It's such a gift actually. I think I felt I had been running at such a pace sort of the end of last year and into this year and, it's been really nice just to stop and I don't think I will. I'm very discerning about what I'm saying yes and no to, mostly no to things at the moment. But it's just, I think it's just needing to ease back into it. Yeah, I felt the same. And I have so many lessons that I've learned through this time of lockdown over how Mm. to be more still. And I didn't realize how packed my schedule was until I stopped it all. And I was (laughs) like, oh, I definitely need a bit more stillness and calmness in the everyday Yes, yeah. absolutely. I, I saw this Instagram post that said, for all you people doing isolation in jeans, what are you trying to prove? <laughs> because most people are like wearing their trackies. And it's funny because I've taken to wearing my joggers with my jeans. And I thought, oh, funny. okay, once life goes back to normal, I can't do this. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I'd be outside with the kids so much or walking on the mountain or walking the dog or going for a bike ride that I just left my joggers on anyway. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've taken my Ugg boots off. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So good. And, and this, um, 
I guess it's a beautiful, it kind of dovetails into reading this book, doesn't it? Like this season of isolation mm-hmm. for me has been a really beautiful time to delve deeper into this book, looking at how we actually do search for peace and where we find it. And like you said, Therese, so many beautiful lessons that have come from that. But last week we, we kicked off with those first two podcasts and this second part of the book now is diving into the reasons that cause us to lose our peace. And it's quite a dense chapter, actually. I found I had to go back and read it a few times. And so what I thought we could do is split the podcast over three parts, looking at part two, and really give it the time it deserves, because I think there's so many gems in here that if we can draw them out, we can really apply them to our lives. And hopefully that will bear beautiful fruit. And I think some of the reasons, what I really liked about this chapter is that he breaks down the reasons that cause us to lose peace. Because mm-hmm. I don't I don't know about you both, but often life happens to me and all of a sudden I find myself in a tease or I'm stressed or I'm snappy or, and you don't really know where it's all coming from. And mm-hmm. so what I really like about this chapter is he identifies the reasons. And so I've been trying to look at the reasons because I was a little bit snappy last week, <laughs> just a confession. <laughs> I probably wasn't the best mummy, but uh, I was just a little over it. But um, I found that when I read this chapter, it coincided with me sort of reaching my peak of being really over it. And it was really mm. helpful because I was like, okay, where is this coming from in me? And so he identifies things such as our fear of being and going without, a fear of suffering, of watching and responding to the suffering in other people's lives. We can lose our peace when those around us behave in ways which cause us to lose peace. We can lose our peace when we're responding to our own sense of failure and sin. And we also lose our peace when we're faced with decisions and uncertainty. And I don't know about you, but I found that really helpful to to try and then identify where this is coming from. Just to and to pray, I guess, into mm. that area. Mm. And I think the focus of this podcast really centers around the first couple of reasons which cause us to lose peace. And ultimately that's a lack of trust, a lack of trust in the Lord, and also this fear of suffering. So let's break open these two a little bit this mm-hmm. morning. So mm-hmm. he, he draws out some really profound themes in the chapter and I'm just interested to hear what resonated with both of you as you read these first couple of um, points in the book. Something that resonated with me, and it's actually on the first um, page of Chapter 2, uh, page 23, where Father Jacques says the most common reason for which we could lose our sense of peace is a fear caused by certain situations which t- touch us personally and which we feel threatened apprehensions in the face of present or future difficulties, fear of lacking something important, of not succeeding in such a project, whatever it might be. And so much of that is the fear of the future, the fear of what we don't even know is to come and things that we tell ourselves of how it might work out and then we become fearful of that and how much we worry about the future, yet we don't even know the grace that God is going to give us during that time to cope with that. And I think it struck me because I remember uh, a dear friend of mine lost her mother a couple of years ago and she always had this, my friend had a deep fear of death and losing her parents. And that fear was so great over many years. And then 
the day that her mum died, which it was devastating for her and she's still going through that deep grief and um, will, it will take many years, but she said she could never have imagined the grace that God would have given to her, that God gave to her in that moment when her mother died, that she was so much more fearful um, beforehand than when in the moment when there was no fear happened. because there was grace. Yeah. And I think so often our worry and our fear of something that hasn't even happened yet is actually greater than when it actually does ha- mm. happen. There's a beautiful quote actually by Corrie Ten Boon and she says, worrying does not empty tomorrow of its troubles. It empties today of its strength. Mm. And so it, it did strike me that first part of uh, chapter two that often our sense of peace can be lost um, because of the fear of the future mm. and letting the future go to God Mm-hmm. Um, and trusting that God's going to give us the grace in those moments of difficulty allows us to maintain peace in the future, um, peace in the present moment. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I was um, thinking about the just this emphasis on trust and sort of the progression that he's following. I love the way he's so concrete about sort of describing what are you like when you've lost your peace? <laughs> and that's a, you know, like that's a really good thing to say, okay, when is it that I've lost my peace? And um, as he'd said in the previous chapter, that no good re- there's no good reason to lose it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now we've got to find <laughs> why. Um, but, uh, but how to find it, like the whole thrust of this trust, I've been reflecting a little bit, it's, it's sort of like... Um, those three theological virtues, which he goes into a lot in all of his other books, faith, yeah. hope, love. And um, in that first part, even in the first chapter last time, um, you know, there's that faith moment of I actually believe God is here. He's part of this equation. I'm not on my own. Mm-hmm. So, like, faith is, yeah, God is present. I can at least bring him in to what I'm doing, even if I'm still doing it by myself. <laughs> yeah. But then, then that grows into hope so there's all yeses we were trying to do last time Mm. then he goes into a hope of well god is here and god is always good um which i think is speaking into this part of trust Mm. that there isn't something that will happen um that god can't turn to good because he's always working for good Mm. um so i think we're sort of stepping toward you know love later where where then when you're free of that suffering you're, you're free of the fear of it because you know God is good and God is with you, then we're free to look outwards and upwards and, and be a gift, um, mm. I think. So I think that's we're sort of in this hope moment here in the book. Yes. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And I love when he says uh, our great drama is this man does not have confidence in God. Mm. And it's that, yeah, it's that deep trust and it's in a way like it's easy to say and to say, oh, I'm going to trust in God today. But when situations are thrown at us, it really tests that trust. Mm -hmm. And often it's through our failures of not trusting and relying on our own strength (laughs) and failing in that that we actually learn the lesson and come around again. And I think for me, actually, I had an experience um, of that a couple of months ago 
we had to crowdfund for this project. It's a book project for a foundation that I run called One Plate. And we needed to crowdfund $50,000 within 60 days. And I had worked for two months before we launched the crowdfunding campaign and put everything in place so that the first week, the first seven days of those 60 days, we would reach our target of 50,000 and then I'd just be able to move on to the next thing. So I worked day and night getting everything set up. The first seven days we got to $17,000 and I realised that, and that was me using every contact network, everything that I could think of. I thought, oh, no, we're not going to reach the target. And on Kickstarter, it's all or nothing. So if you don't reach your target, you lose the money that you raised. Oh, gosh. So I actually spent the next 50 days trying to raise the remaining amount and I couldn't do it. It just plateaued. And I tried and I tried in my own strength, tried absolutely everything with media and didn't get there. And then we had 24 hours left and it was quite difficult because I knew that if we didn't reach our target, then we couldn't go ahead with the project and we would have lost, we got to $30,000. We would have lost the $30,000 that we'd wow. have raised. Gosh. And so 24 hours left and I was, I was stressed. Just a little. <laughs> I, didn't, yeah. I didn't have any peace and <laughs> I thought I trusted God, but I was like the whole thing's going yes. to shambles. It's not going to work. The project's done. I've tried so hard and nothing's worked. And it was a Sunday night and I just got to the point where I was I'm over it. I'm so done. And then I went to mass and I prayed and I said, God, I just give it all to you. If you want this project to happen, you're going to have to, you're going to have to work a miracle. And I thought, I'll just send one last email to our database of 800 people. And I sent an email and within a minute, somebody donated 5,000 and then the next minute somebody donated 500 (laughs) and it just kept going up and up and within 24 hours we raised another $22,000 and we reached our $50,000 target. (laughs) That's awesome. It was an absolute miracle but above it and beyond all of that, what it taught me Mm -hmm. was that God was in control the whole time Mm -hmm. and that I had been working in my own strength and my Mm -hmm. own efforts to the point of feeling stressed, burnt out, tired. But that last act of surrender, of trusting, of really abandoning it to God on that Sunday night and giving it over to him, and then he just took it and he worked the miracle. It wasn't in my own strength at all. And it's through those 60 days I was saying, God, I trust in you, but it wasn't this actual letting go of abandonment. And Mm -hmm. I think there's so many times in our lives and so many other moments in my life where I I have failed in my trust and abandonment to God, but it's also remembering that through those failures that God is teaching us and we're learning how God is all-powerful and almighty Mm -hmm. and all in control over and over and again because we need (laughs) that lesson again and again. Yes, Mm. absolutely. And I think that's, it's so true. And at the heart of it, like you're saying, is this lack of trust that we just don't think God's going to come through for us. (laughs) Even though he created the whole universe and the galaxies and everything, somehow we really doubt in his faithfulness and his goodness, which goes back to the Garden of Eden where you know, Eve was tempted and and sin entered the world. And I think Mm -hmm. the greatest sin wasn't so much her disobedience, but was her lack of trust 
because she believed the serpent and she believed the lies that caused her to lack trust in the providence and the faithfulness of God. And I think that's played out in our life every single day, isn't it? Like we lose mm. our peace when we fail to really trust God and we, and we lack confidence mm. that he's going to provide for us, even though the Bible says in Matthew 6 verse 23, your heavenly father knows what you need. Like he knows mm. what we need. It's and true. Yeah. And I think when uh, that, I think it's around that same verse where he talks about, you know, what father among you Mm. would hand his son a snake when he asked for bread or whatever. It's almost a little bit, there's a little bit of a sting of pain. Like, Mm. didn't you think, don't you think I would always give you the good? Don't you Mm. think my father always wants the good for you? And you, and you are sort of thinking maybe he'll give me a snake, you know, like like the pain that that would, yeah. I mean, even as a parent now, you know, when your child gets that look in their eye, like someone else has has stirred them up to doubt your, Mm. your, I don't know, whatever you've told them, the pain that that would be, you know? Yes. Yeah. Mm. I I think I learned this lesson. I mean, not that you learn it once, do you? (laughs) Like, it's Mm -hmm. like we have to re-encounter it over and over again. But I remember being 13 and I loved swimming and I was swimming came first, represented ACT, and I was really good at it. And then my dad thought I was developing this huge muscle on the right side of my back (laughs) from swimming. And it turned out that I actually had really severe scoliosis. And Mm. so my spine was curving at a crazy rate as I was going through puberty. So it it went from like 56 degrees curve to something like 78 degrees curve within a couple of months. So my body became quite deformed like my right ribs were touching my hip and this huge kind of rib cage out the right side of my back and I had a lot of pain and anyway so I had to have surgery obviously because it was quite major and we were due to have surgery and my dad was really believing that I'd be healed and we went and heard Sister Breege McKenna she was a a nun Mm. who spoke on healing and he took me to Oberon we went for this drive and He was really believing for this. And I remember we were there and I think it was the priest walked down the aisle and sort of stopped near us. And my dad heard, you know, what he says was the Lord's voice saying, you know, I will remain faithful to you, providing you remain faithful to me. And Mm -hmm. at that moment, he looked up across the aisle and there was a woman sitting across the aisle with scoliosis who'd been through multiple surgeries and and we'd not known anyone who'd been through this. So it was like God gave him somebody to speak to. But it was interesting. God actually never healed me. I actually had to go through the surgery. And I think mm. um, I remember the night before the operation, and, you know, it was very touch and go as to whether I could have it because it was um, curving so badly. And I got sick. I got a cold. So they couldn't actually Mm. operate on me. (laughs) So they made me go to my great aunt's house. I had to stay in Sydney for a couple of weeks and come back and had had the surgery. And it was the night before and I was really frightened. I was only 13. And Mm. I remember opening my confirmation journal to, it was like a devotional book, to this scripture. And the scripture was Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in everything you do, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And I think I was really blessed from a very young age to have a sense that of being caught by God, of, mm. of an understanding that 
you know, God might not actually answer my prayers and give me what I want. So he might not give me a healing or he might not take away this suffering, but he will be in it and he will use it for my good. Yeah. You know, and I won't go into this, but we went through six years of infertility and I remember like crying out to the Lord and praying and I had to get to a place where I had to accept that he may not give me what I was asking for. And at Mm. that point, was I still going to trust him? Was I still going to believe in his providence? It's a really hard place to get to. And I sometimes don't think we can get there unless we've suffered. Mm. I think suffering forces us into this um, space where we're confronted with, mm. it, with that choice. I think it's true because that's where we find ourselves so helpless. Mm. We, we're, when we're suffering profoundly, we are so aware that of ourselves we can do nothing, you know, which mm. is that, that key to open the doors of faith, I think, you know, yes. or close them and really harden up. I mean, we've Absolutely. got a choice. Suffering isn't magic, but it is a unique stripping, I think, of our hearts of, of self-reliance because we, we we can't fix it. So then it's to choose to believe that God is with us in it and that he's good in it and he'll find a way mm. or or to close up and <laughs> just despair of anything, you know. So we've got to, that, that's a choice, but um, it's a unique moment of, of experiencing God being there for us and stepping yeah. in when we're helpless. Yes. And I think what you said is it is a choice. Like we can choose to close our hearts to God. And ultimately, you know, the Bible tells us that leads to death, the death of our soul, the death death of peace, the death of joy. Uh, I once met a woman whose husband passed away from cancer and she was left with six children. And she said the only scripture she repeated as he was dying was, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the mm-hmm. Lord is my strength. I thought, oh, my goodness. Wow. Like, you're losing your husband, but you're just clinging to that. And she was so full of joy. I just I couldn't believe it. Mm. But she really claimed that. She stepped into that space and just claimed it and, and declared it out loud too. Mm. St. Rose of Lima has a beautiful quote where she says, without the burden of afflictions, it is impossible to reach the height of grace. Mm -hmm. The gift of grace increases as the struggle increases. And I think you're right when you say, Karen, that in a way it's a a choice that, I mean, we're all going to suffer, but our choice is how we accept that suffering Mm -hmm. and how we allow grace to transform the suffering within us because we can choose to allow it to perfect us, to sharpen us, to shape us, or we can you let it ruin us. Mm. And that's why it's so beautiful, like that lady holding on to that scripture, that the struggle obviously increased for her, but because the way she accepted that suffering, the gift of inc- grace increased. Mm. Yeah. I think mm. something for me that um, some of the projects um, through One Plate that I've been looking at over the last couple of years uh, have, I mean, just tragic in these countries. We've got projects in Cambodia, the Philippines and throughout Africa and there's one particular project in this tiny town on the border of Thailand and Cambodia and I went there last year and these children, the suffering that they have gone through is unbelievable. So many of these children who, some are orphaned, but most of them, many of them are actually abandoned by their own parents. Many of them Mm. are trafficked. And many of these women actually have children in order to traffic them to make money. It's just, it's 
horrendous. So the suffering that these children have gone through is just beyond my comprehension. I suppose something that I that really touched me of what Father Jacques said on page 33, he said, the sufferings of the present time simply don't compare with the glory to come that will be revealed to us. Mm-hmm. And going on these project trips and seeing these children who have gone through deep suffering, for me it's this reminder that to keep our gaze, to keep our eyes on heaven, to always look up that the suffering is such a mystery. It makes no sense and it's often one of the biggest obstacles for for people to actually understand God because of suffering, why the world is like this, why people um, suffer. So it's hard for us to understand because it is a mystery. But by keeping our eyes on heaven and the hope of heaven um, allows us to, allows the suffering to transform us. Mm-hmm. It's true. I remember being in... Uh, St. Peter's Square for the closing of the Holy Doors. And um, I hope that's the right place. But I remember being <laughs> really struck by um, St. John Paul II. He was talking about it was that Tercio Millennio Inuente, right? So you've crossed into the third millennium. And he the theme was seek his face. He went into this whole focus on let's now focus on Christ. Let's let's seek the face of Christ. Mm -hmm. And one line I was getting sort of choppy translation was (laughs) that Christ changes the faces of those who gaze upon him. Mm -hmm. And it just really has stayed with me. And that's a long time ago now, you know, 2000. Um, Christ changes the faces of those who gaze upon him in that contemplative gaze. And I think it's really true is we just looking on him, we actually begin to resemble him and looking enough into the way he looks upon us in our suffering and in our joys and in everything, then he, he lets us look then with him at others. And, and, mm. and even that, that, that suffering that we experience and the, the humanizing effect it can have on us, like of just realizing our own vulnerability, <laughs> we can yes. be more, more careful and more more patient and more kind um, and compassionate for other people when they are vulnerable too. So so that suffering is priceless for, you know, when we live it with him and gazing on him, it's it's priceless of what it does to heal our our self deeply. Mm. And we lose sight of that, don't we? Because we see it as an evil. We see it as a negative and we often look at, you know, other people's lives and think that if only my life was like this or if only my husband was different, if only my kids were different, if only this job would work, if only this person in the religious community would be different, Mm -hmm. I would be happy or I could trust Mm -hmm. more. But what you're saying is like when we do sit before the Lord and sit before Jesus, set our eyes in a contemplative gaze of Jesus, as Father Jacques says, he said, you know, this contemplation is an absolute necessity to grow Mm. in our confidence and to see suffering through a different lens, through a lens Mm. that actually might bring about something really beautiful and and really good in our lives. It's not always easy. I think, you know, like Psalm 23, he uses that as an example, as the ultimate scripture Mm -hmm. for this abandonment in confidence. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing else I shall want. 
But my favourite line in it is you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And I love that word through because it doesn't say you will go there and you will set up camp there and there you will remain all of your days. You will pass through it. It might take a really long time to get through it, but you will come through it somehow. And I think we have to have that hope that firstly God is at work in whatever we're facing, whatever trial or trauma or experience we're going through. And hope that he will, he'll use it, that he's present and he will use it. But I, I think, you know, that perseverance is so important in prayer because we can quit, can't we? We can give yeah. up so easily. And I think human nature just does quit really so quickly. I think about and mm. reflect back on my own experience over these past eight weeks and just how... I guess I've given in in different ways to the temptation of negativity, just, you know, those that chatter that goes on in our heads. And for me, that's I'm vulnerable to that around motherhood and like feeling like I just wasn't cutting it with the kids schooling and trying to keep up with everything. And like I, I joke about it, but it actually was really hard. And I found myself last week really snappy and then being really grumpy. <laughs> daughter said to me my youngest she is you are the worst teacher ever and I was Aww. like oh. I was like inside going you don't know how hard I'm trying yeah <laughs> so I was just trying so she didn't mean it she's so gorgeous she apologized yeah. but it was just like my stress and everything I was going through just yeah. built up and we forget so easily and mm-hmm. I think there's a beautiful line in the book where it says just as the assaults of evil and thoughts of discouragement are incessant, so is the manner in which our prayers must also be incessant and untiring. Like we yeah. we must persevere. We have to persevere. Oh. And I can't remember what saint, but there's a saint that said, I love this quote, that I used to think that prayer would change things, but mm. now I've realised that um, prayer changes me and I change things. Mm. And I know last week when I was getting really snappy I just, and then I was reading this book, I thought, okay, you really need to put this into practice, Karen. And so just really going to prayer and really seeking the Lord with all my heart, saying, please help me. Like I'm, I'm messing up here. I'm snappy. I'm not patient. I just really need your grace. Um, and I think just persevering with that. That's right. And no matter how hard or simple it is, sometimes we judge our own prayer life and we judge, oh, because I'm not praying in the right way or I'm not praying enough or we judge the quality of our prayer and the quantity of our prayer, which actually becomes, I mean, it's the devil getting in our ear to stop us from persevering in prayer. And sometimes it's just in the simplicity of those childlike prayers of saying, Lord, help me, help me a hundred times over. Um, You know, it's as powerful as five hours of non-distracted prayer from the Blessed Sacrament. (laughs) We can really um, judge our own prayer life. And I think that becomes a cause for for giving up, for not persevering. So I think it's really important for us to, in a way, accept ourselves. Like we're trying to accept other people, but accept ourselves and our own poverty in our own prayer and spiritual and just keep striving and knowing, again, it's, I suppose it's a reminder to us that we are, um, that we are weak without the grace of God and that, yeah, no matter how short on time we are for prayer or how much prayer we have or no matter how many distractions we have in our prayer, that it's, yeah, it's just keep persevering. 
I think for me, I last week actually um, reading through this book of Father Jacques and how he spoke about just sitting there and the gaze of God on us and you know entering into that contemplative prayer. I really tried to lengthen my prayer time each morning to do that. But um, I was so distracted in my prayer. I'm, I've got a um, spare room at my apartment in Melbourne. I'm recreating it into a creative um, study. And all I could think of was how I was going to design it. And I was trying to pray. I'd put this <laughs> prayer time aside, but my mind kept going back to, oh, the type of colours I want and the couch. <laughs> I was so distracted that, like, I started feeling guilty and I was like, oh, there's no point even having this morning prayer when I'm just sitting here thinking about interior design. <laughs> but I just felt in my prayer when I just gave it to God, I just felt I felt him say that each time you come back to me is a little victory in, in your mind. Each time you are distracted and then you decide to go, okay, I'm coming back to you, God, it's another victory. It's those little mm-hmm. little steps in persevering in prayer that we might see insignificant, but they're actually, it's those little victories that build up to keeping us striving in our prayer life with yeah. God. Yeah. I agree. I was just thinking two little things there. Um, first of all, how... You know, when we are having a hard time, prayer gets really simple and really real. <laughs> just really, really, really simple and really real. I, I've known different moments of life, like even just discernment moments that were just hard and long and what are we doing, which way's up. And I remember that Psalm 23 was really helpful. Um, and I pulled a translation that just said, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I just loved that because it was so done. Um, Even though you don't know anything, you don't know which way you're going. But, um, yeah, just the simplicity and the the reality of what goes on when you just sit, um, whether it's five minutes or whatever. Um, It's simple and real. Um, Mm. There's no time for fluff or trying to impress. You just are who you are. Um, stripped often to the core there Mm. Um, but the other little point was I think it's on page 36 he he talks about well I like thinking of having these little little anchors that help us to persevere that you pull out when things are a bit dry you know he talks about how Saint John of the Cross you know towards the end of his life he just was sitting down he's exhausted mm. he just would have loved to have just a bit of asparagus you know <laughs> just i just want some asparagus uh strange taste but anyway um and then where he was bam there's the asparagus just right where he sat down there it was for him god yeah i was thinking you know what's your asparagus moments that, mm. that, that they help you know like yeah. they help us to, to remember, like remember, and that's what in the Old Testament is, remember Israel, like remember all these other things God has done for us. He will also Ooh, pull us through. Yes. He calls them, he describes them as delicacies of love. I love that. The delicacies love that. of love. Like what are the little things that he gives to you to help you through? I just think that's so beautiful. I hope and pray that conversation was a real blessing to you. And I really encourage you to take some time before the Blessed Sacrament and allow the truths contained in this little book to really penetrate your heart and your soul. If you are interested in a copy of the PDF journal for each episode, head on over to the Genius Project, www.geniusproject.co and fill out the form on the podcast page. 
This week, Therese with her organisation One Plate have launched an amazing cookbook of all the top eating places in Melbourne. Really encourage you to jump on Instagram or Facebook and check out One Plate and grab a copy of the cookbook. It's beautiful. Don't forget your challenge of the week. And until next week, God bless you and have a beautiful week.